Underwriting provided by Physicians for Social Responsibility, working for over 50 years to create a healthy, just, and peaceful world for both present and future generations. More information can be found at psr.org. That's psr.org. Underwriting provided by the Sierra Club, the nation's largest grassroots environmental organization with over 2 million members and supporters, protecting millions of acres of wilderness and promoting policies that protect our environment. Learn more at sierraclub.org. That's sierraclub.org. Underwriting provided by Bold Iowa, protecting landowners against the abuse of eminent domain and working for clean energy solutions. Details can be found on Facebook at Bold Iowa. To the Fallon Farm, Ed Fallon, your host here, as we broadcast live from the cultural and culinary crossroads of America, that will be Des Moines, Iowa. We're broadcasting from the studios of La Reina, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking with uh, with uh, Ashley Venorni uh, later in the program here, and uh, also Charles Goldman's joining us. It should be a great conversation. I want to take a second to uh, thank our local business sponsors here in the Des Moines Metro. Uh, thanks to uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and also a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper, and they've got a catering service as well. Thanks also to Diversity Insurance, where all your insurance needs get covered under one roof. They're located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. Stop in, no appointment needed. Uh, thanks also to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant, authentic authentic Mexican food at uh, great prices and very, very friendly service. Uh, they're located on Southeast 14th Street in Des Moines. All right, again, welcome to today's Fallon Forum. And uh, if you're listening here in Iowa or in much of the Midwest, um, I hope you're dressed nice and warm and that your furnace is working well because uh, it's darn cold out there. I just saw the uh, wind chill factor of about, what, 20 below? Uh, yeah, that's that's a that's a, a nice little nip to it, eh? Okay, so uh, before we uh, welcome Ashley Venorni to the uh, program, I want to just mention that uh, Dr. Charles Goldman's joining us later in the show. We're going to talk about the, the uh, Fuhrer over Fast and Furious, and Charles has some very entertaining uh uh, suggestions on rejected titles for that book. Uh, we'll also uh, talk about um, President Trump's claim to being the law and order president and why that may be, well, fake news. Uh, we'll also talk with um, talk about the, uh, the, the, the NFL. Play. You know, I, we're not a sports uh, talk show, no. But we're going to talk a little bit about the playoffs, about why Tom Brady has, again, probably sealed the deal that he is the greatest football player of all time and also about how much it must really, really be awful to be Marcus Williams right now. And I'm hoping people in, in New Orleans are treating him really, really well because I feel really bad for what happened to him. Anyway, um, let's go to our phone line and welcome Ashley Venorni to the program. Hello, Ashley. How are you? Good, good. Trying to stay warm this morning. Well, good. I hope you're accomplishing that. Uh, yeah. Ash Ashley recently was elect elected to the um, City Council of Cedar Rapids, uh, you know, a, a young woman challenging an old-time incumbent and winning pretty handily. Uh, Ashley, congratulations on that. Thank you very much. And, uh, again, what, um, you know, t tell us a little bit about the election itself. Uh, 
what were the issues that uh, that, that uh, you know were brought to the forefront that caused voters to want to change? Well, I think you know accountability and accessibility was something that I, I've said over and over. Um, you know, when I was out canvassing, I had plenty of folks that said nobody's been here in ten years. That's problematic when you have a twelve-year mm. incumbent right. um, that I was running against. Um, we can't afford as representatives to be apart from our citizens that much. You know, we need to make sure that we're getting out in front of them. Um, and, and, and if we're not able to, to see them when we're hosting meetings, we need to make sure that we're going to them and meeting them on, you know, meeting them where they're at. And that was something that I, you know, took a lot of time and, and made sure that I did. And um, people were very respondent to that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot of work, too, as you know. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah. And um, of course, you know, I was working full time as I am now. And um, I was, uh, you know, working on my master's program, which I still am now, and um, had a number of nonprofit responsibilities, which I still do as well. So um, but campaigning is its own beast. You know, um, I'm, I'm happy that that part's done so I can actually just roll up my sleeves and get to work. That's yeah. always been something that I enjoy doing. So uh I'm doing that now. Congratulations! Yeah, now I know Thank that uh, I know that sustainability is a priority of yours, uh, and that's it been is, a big yeah. issue in Cedar Rapids because uh, Cedar Rapids was hit by a really amazing uh, and devastating flood back in 2008, and there's no reason to expect in the new climate era that something like that might not happen again. Sure. Yes. Um, and so I'm always uh, factoring that in in the back of my mind. I know recently. Um, as far as flood uh, flood protection goes, we just passed the $17 million um, wall that's going to be surrounding Quake Roads and kind of protecting um, river waters from that side. And so we're always looking, you know, to make sure that we're, we're uh, looking at, um, into flood protection efforts. Um, but sustainability is something that, that comes with, you know, uh, with anything that I do. I'm on the flood, or sorry, the development committee. Um, this year, and so that will be something that I'll, you know, that I'll factor in as well. Um, and right now, I think the biggest thing, as far as sustainability goes, um, that we're seeing in Cedar Rapids is, is uh, converting some of our four-way streets to two-way streets with a road diet. And um, so that's underway. It's, you know, we're we're not quite done yet. We definitely have some more education to the city and um, and some signage to put up. Um, but I. But I understand why we're doing it. I think that it's going to be a really great thing to um, for our city. Yeah. So that, that's and that's an expensive project, but people understand why it's important, given what happened back in two thousand eight. Well, I'm not sure that everybody understands just yet, but I think that that's part of part of my onus, right? Is to explain sure. why we're doing this. Um, we've got some really great, uh, really great folks that work for the city, and. Um, particularly our sustainability coordinator is somebody that is is uh, very admirable, somebody that I, I respect very much. And, um, you know, and, and he understands why we're doing that, um, not only to create more foot traffic um, and create more walk, you know, uh, bikeability in, in downtown, but also um, trying to reduce some of the carbon emissions. Right. Um, that's something that a lot of cities have, have taken advantage of. and. Yeah. The more that we invest in downtown, you know, even around like the Grant Amphitheater has been great, but uh, we need to make sure that it's, it's easily accessible by foot as well. It's, it seems like more and more of that is happening uh, at the local level, uh, almost as a, a pushback against the total inaction at the federal level. And 
to a large extent uh, in Iowa, certainly at the state level as well. There's there's not a lot happening uh, with regards trying to prepare for uh, a future that is less reliant on fossil fuels and trying to prepare for a future where the planet itself is warming and impacts us in many ways. It seems like the all, all the uh, all the innovative stuff is happening at the local level. Yeah, and it's, you know what's actually really great about Cedar Rapids, though, is that this is something you talk about statewide. Um, these are some initiatives that places like Des Moines are now considering as well as far as converting some of their four-lane streets into two ways and, and going on uh, road diets. And um, I love to see that Cedar Rapids is the one who is trailblazing this. Yeah, um, well, so, I, I, yeah. I will say on that that Des Moines, uh, Des Moines is working on making some additional roads uh, uh, two-way, t- 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 taking away the, uh, the taking out the one-way streets, I should say, but that uh, but that started uh, quite a few years ago, actually, in the East Village, where Locust Street used to be a one-way street, and now it's two ways, and it's worked out really well. It's been great for commerce. The local businesses yep. along there really like it. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been tested. It works uh, not just you know in our our communities, but across the country. And there's uh, you know it's maybe counterintuitive. People think well. We want to move people through here quickly, but actually you don't. You want them to be able to right. move more slowly. It's safer. It's better for you know pedestrian traffic. It's better for the the business community. So yeah, I'm I'm glad there's some uh, some excitement about moving in that direction in Cedar Rapids as well. You bet. Yeah. What are your just in the last couple of minutes we have here, Ashley? What are your other priorities as a, as a new member of the council? Well, affordable housing will always be something that's very important to me. Um, you know that was something that I was talking about. You know, and I joke about this, but that was something I was talking about before it was sexy. But, um, you know, from my nonprofit experiences, there is a lack of affordable housing in Cedar Rapids. And so when when I'm working on the development committee, that's something that we need to uh, make sure that we're, you know, we're looking at. So if we have a new building that's coming in, you know, know, making sure that there's a certain percentage that is uh, below market rate so we can uh, make sure that everybody has an affordable home. Um, I'm very concerned about our homeless population and, and making sure that we're providing for every Cedar Rapidian, regardless of their SES status. So um, that's always something that I'm, I'm looking at and evaluating. But I think regardless of what comes across my desk, I'm always kind of looking at the null hypothesis, looking at alternatives and making sure that if we have something in place, that it's actually, um, you know, doing what we wanted it to do so that it's, it's, uh, the efficacy is, is there. I've got a public safety and, and uh, youth services uh, committee meeting tonight, and I know that I'm going to be asking those same things with some uh, some measures that we're doing in the city right now, just making sure that things are testing what they're, you know, and measuring what they're supposed to be measuring, and that it's, uh, that uh, some of our initiatives are working, and if they're not, then maybe we need to step away from them or yeah. go a different route. Well, good. Good for you. There's, uh, again, there's so much happening and so much that needs to happen, so I'm glad you're uh, taking that bull by the horns. Uh, Ashley, uh, thank you uh, so much for joining us. We'd love to have you on again sometime and get an update on how some of these initiatives are moving forward. Uh, folks, we've been talking Absolutely. with Ashley Venorni of the uh, Cedar Rapids City Council, recently elected one of a one of a, a pretty sizable handful of young people elected uh, to um, to municipal offices in the previous election last fall. Again, uh, good luck with your work. Thank you so much for having me. All right, when we come back, folks, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Charles Goldman is going to join us, and we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to start off by talking about Michael Wolf's book, uh, book Fast and Furious, and we'll see where that conversation leads. We've got a bunch of other things we want to get into, including a little bit of NFL talk because how can we not help ourselves? Uh, on the phone line is uh, Dr. Charles Goldman. Hello, Charles. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Good. 
Fire and Fury. Have you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I believe you had some suggested alternative titles for the book. Uh, titles that you. Oh said yeah, were, there were some. There were some great suggestions. I and, and, uh, and just to, to be clear, uh, these are coming right out of uh, the New Yorker magazine. Oh. Uh, oh okay. Some 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 of the favorites were All Quiet on the Frontal Lobe. <laughs> Um, the the tweets of wrath. Um, my favorite, the white badge of bone spurs. <laughs> For those who remember being forced in elementary school to read the Stephen Crane book, the red badge of courage. Yes, yes. Um, another favorite uh, on William Golding's book, Lord of the Lies. Lord, Lord of the Lies. Okay. Lord of the Lies. And who's 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 that? who's who gets to be piggy in that one? <laughs> Ban, probably Bannon. It's got to be Bannon, right? Bannon's head on a stake on on a beach uh-huh. on a, on a beach right outside of the uh, uh, of a Mar-a-Lago there. Yes. Oh, Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, yeah. Then then you have love in the time of collusion, and then <laughs> my favorite, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, Sixth Edition. That of course is the DSM six, which uh, the psychiatrist who briefed uh, the uh, representatives and senators uh, made you know liberal use of. So, um, yeah, I mean, pretty amazing stuff. Uh, you know, the biggest problem, of course, with the book is Michael Wolf himself. Right. And I, I would have to say reading, you know, fairly long excerpts from it, um, this, this is not exactly, uh, it is serious reporting, but it, 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 it's, it's a fictionalized account. It's kind of like when you go to a movie and it says based on a true story. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, so, I would say that. So, so what what parts of it are true? I mean, first of all, let's start with this. Just in case we, uh, you know, people aren't familiar with with the detail, tell us the gist of the book and and what it reveals. Well, I think I think it, it simply confirms a lot of things that we already knew about the uh, the Trump White House. I, I think the biggest thing, which is what I had told you a long time ago, was that Trump was running a Saturday Night Live satire of a campaign and that he really I truly believe that this is this is the most rigorously true part of the book that he was not thinking he was going to win it was simply a publicity stunt I mean when yeah. he referred to the meeting room recently where you know, they had the big meeting uh, the 55 minute televised meeting as the studio um, <laughs> he, I, I think that tells you pretty much how the president sees what his role is right um, I Actor, actor in chief. He's actor in chief. He's running a reality show, and and that meeting room was his studio. And he talked about the ratings that that meeting got. Hmm. So, um, you know, I, I think that's certainly one thing we already knew. Uh, I think the other part of the book that is important is to understand that Trump has no ideological convictions whatsoever. That's it's been that's so, been clear for a long time. Right, yeah. but from the book, you clearly see that he is simply going to line himself up with who will give him the most praise. And since the bicoastal elites have always hated him uh, and now have more reason to despise him, um, he has turned and he's fully within the embrace of the right. And the other thing you get from the book is to understand that there is truly a war on the right. You've got the, the real nationalistic you know, almost national front part of the party, which is, you know, the Mercers and the Edelmans and the alt-right people and Bannon. And then you've got the 
establishment Republicans, you know, that was represented obviously early on by, you know, Rice Priebus, and even hard to believe, Rupert Murdoch. I mean, if you look at the coverage in the Wall Street Journal, you know, the editorial page is its usual odious self, but the news and the reporting in the Wall Street Journal is hardly friendly to Trump. Right, and you you, you, you would expect, I mean, historically, they, they love their Republican presidents. That's correct. Yeah. And he is, he, it, it's sort of interesting, because, you know, this, this whole discussion about the asshole, um, you know, statement, and, and I, I, I actually kind of agree to some degree with Graham Paul, which is saying, calling him a racist doesn't help anything. Um, he doesn't, because, you know something, he doesn't see himself as a racist. He doesn't see himself as a racist because he's simply tacking to people who are racist. Right, and and and, and, and Ivana, Ivana Trump on the news today said the same thing. He's not a, you know, his former wife. He's not a racist. No, <laughs> he is whatever you want him to be. As long as, as you long as, as, as long as, like as, as long as you love him, exactly right. That's correct, and that is that is really where he's coming from. And you know, I guess some of the other things that came out either because of the book or in the book. You know about his work habits and the fact that they really try to keep him away from doing anything as much as possible is not surprising. Yeah, he he is he has no intellectual rigor. He isn't really particularly interested in working hard. He just wants to be loved. It was sort of like when he went to the football game. If they held the the uh, college playoff championship in the Meadowlands, do you think he would have gone there? <laughs> because he wouldn't have. He went south, where he knew he would have an adoring crowd of people who watch football. But right. if he if it was in Meadowlands, they would have booed him. There's right. no way he would have shown up there. Right. So hey, hey, back, back, back to Wolf uh, again. I, I, I'm not. It's not entirely clear to me what he's revealing that we didn't already know. You got? Do you have a take on that, or is it? Am I right that it's not really that much new material? It's just kind of framed in a way that has gotten a lot of attention. Well, I, I, I think what he got Bannon to say, is, you know, in terms of the investigation and the meeting, were revelations. You know, and, and, and Bannon is, is he's equally uncontrolled as the president. <laughs> you know, when he's in, then he he wouldn't have said those things. But when he's out, and this is what Wolf said, mm-hmm. you know, when Bannon is, is you know is pushed away from things, he shoots his mouth off. And yeah. I, I think that, again, the thing that if you have you know, watched Rachel Maddow since the first day of the administration that you understand, what this is really about is just what Bannon said. It's about money laundering through Trump's real estate properties. Right. And, and the Kushners are involved, too. And that is, this is, that's the whole See, point. That, that's why he didn't want to win. Yeah. And that, that, that may explain, I mean, Trump will push back against anybody who maligns him just because it hurts his feelings and he wants to be loved, as you pointed out. But but um, that's a much more serious uh, concern that I think heaps on. He, it just adds more and more fuel to the momentum to get him out of that out of the office of presidency. If it's not through impeachment, through some other means. Um, but but that that to me is the, is maybe the key thing here is it adds to the growing amount of evidence as to why. President Trump needs to need uh, needs to be gone. <laughs> For I mean, so many people I think feel that, and uh, and I, I think this is another piece that will you know you know fuel that argument. Well, but the only the only way he goes is through impeachment, or 
if if it becomes clear that Mueller knows and can prove and is willing to hand over the evidence to the New York State Attorney General, um, then he might resign. He mm-hmm. might resign to protect himself or his family, um, and he'll claim health as a reason. You know that he's stressed out from all the work he's been hard work he's been doing for the American people, and he's not golfing. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the Twenty Fifth Amendment thing is a fantasy. That's not going to happen because you still need two thirds votes on both sides um, if the president refuses to step down. Right um, on both sides of the legislature, it's not going to happen. Um, impeachment won't happen, obviously, because I don't believe the the Democrats are going to be able to regain enough seats in the Senate to have a controlling interest in the Senate. Um, I do think if, if the Democrats take the House, they will impeach him. Um, I think that's a real possibility, uh, given, I the, think given, that is a given possibility. the lay of the land. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a real possibility, yeah. but I think it'll end up the same way it ended up with with Clinton, where they, they you know, the, the Senate will not vote to convict. And, um, we we got to... Yeah. Go, go ahead. Yeah, but again, I, I think the main issue here is what Mueller knows and what Mueller... You know, they can disband the investigation. Mueller, Mueller clearly will be handing everything over to the New York State Attorney General, where... And, and this is why Trump has been manipulating who is the, you know, federal... Uh, uh, attorneys down in, in the New York district, but he can't. But that still won't stop the New York State Attorney General, who he despises and who despises him. Right. No. So I, I I think that's the only reason. The other thing I would take away from the book is that this is this administration is so inept that we're actually lucky they're so inept because as bad as the things they've been doing, it could be worse if they actually knew what they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and speaking of which, I want we got to move to a short break here. But speaking sure. of which, uh, you know, yeah, what 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 this whole this uh, this nuclear scare in Hawaii? I, I want to talk about that when we come back uh, and reflect on what um you know what uh, what the president might have known, should have known, what could have happened if you know. I just I just want to reflect on that a minute. The incident by itself, but also. Bringing in concerns about uh, about the uh, president's uh, you know mental stability. Anyway, we'll talk about that when we come back uh, from a short break. Underwriting provided by Physicians for Social Responsibility, working for over fifty years to create a healthy, just, and peaceful world for both present and future generations. More information can be found at psr.org. That's psr.org. Underwriting provided by the Sierra Club, the nation's largest grassroots environmental organization with over 2 million members and supporters, protecting millions of acres of wilderness and promoting policies that protect our environment. Learn more at sierraclub.org. That's sierraclub.org. Underwriting provided by Bold Iowa, protecting landowners against the abuse of eminent domain and working for clean energy solutions. Details can be found on Facebook at Bold Iowa. about love I'm not the guy who cared about fortunes and such never cared much oh look at me now hey that's Max Wellman and we're back to our conversation here on the Fallon Forum Ed Fallon your host broadcasting from 
a very frigid but still a very culturally and culinarily advanced uh, community in the heartland of uh, Iowa named as Des Moines, I- Des Moines, Iowa. Okay, so um, later in the program we'll talk about uh, the NFL because we have to. Because there's a, because it involves the Patriots. Because it, involves a, it also involves a guy that I feel really, really, really sorry for, and I hope that he is – I hope, I hope people are being really nice to Marcus Williams. Oh, right you now. Marcus Williams? Yeah, but let, let's save that for another car. I, I want to <laughs> start by talking about something uh, that gravely, much more serious, very grave. Um, I don't know where you were <laughs> on, um, excuse me, on, um, was it Saturday, when, the, um, when uh, a message came into folks in Hawaii, <coughs> excuse me, saying that a ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. But a friend of mine who lives in Hawaii was in Colorado, and her kids were were back in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And she's on the ski lift going up to the top of the slope when one of the children calls her and says, Mommy, I don't want to die. Wait, 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 wait. She's on her way up to ski with her cell phone on? She has her cell phone with her. I don't know why. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, anyway, I, I mean, this was an incredibly traumatic experience for an entire state. For 38 mm-hmm. minutes, people thought they were they were about to be hit by a nuclear weapon, and you know I. I and as I, it turned out, it, it, it depends on on your cell carrier because it turned out that some of the cell carriers actually never sent the message out. So I mean, there was there was absolutely the system did not work in many ways. So yeah, yeah. some some were speculating that there might have actually been. Uh, some indications of a missile being launched, and then there was that that you know that 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 uh, somehow was was addressed and didn't happen. I, it's hard to know exactly what the truth is anymore, but um, I, I mean, it seems most logically, it seems like there was indeed a human error. But it just you know, part of me wonders why is this not even happened? Why has this not happened before? This is so. Um, there's there so many ways in which our nuclear uh, defense system can go wrong. <laughs> oh, no, no, this, this, that, see, and that's the point. It has happened before, and it's happened in, in ways that are actually more dangerous. I mean, remember that on both sides, the Russian side and the American side, there have been scenarios in which, except for the uh, calm action of generally one person, either military or uh, in the United States, uh, you know, uh, a political appointee in the cabinet, we didn't go to war because there were indications on both sides at in these separate events that there was a um, a nuclear attack underway from the opposite, you know, from the belligerents. Um, and it raises the question of how dangerous it is that we continue to have these weapons and that many of them are controlled by technology from the 1950s. Yeah, yeah. I, I just it just it boggles the mind that we continue to allow this um, this scenario to exist. I mean, it, it's you know we, we get all concerned about North Korea's nuclear weapons as we should, <laughs> but uh, not 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 about our own or about the, the those controlled by Russia or Pakistan or India or Israel. You know, I mean. There's, there's, there's so, there, there's so many of these horrible weapons of destruction in the world, uh, and again, as you point out, this is such a flawed system of management. But you know, right, the, well, don't forget, we've dropped uh, nuclear weapons on our own country. Uh, you know, in North Nevada, Carolina, 
Yeah, well, and North Carolina. No, I'm not talking about testing them. I'm talking about dropping them out of the plane. Oh, but um, it, it didn't go off, though. It, it didn't go off, right. and it, you know, because there are eight things that keep these weapons from going off by mistake, and seven of them failed in that scenario, and only one of them held from you know those bombs going I, off. I, I had forgotten that. When was that again? Oh, God, I think in the 70s or eight, maybe it was the 80s. But, you know... These are, are openly admitted events. You know, and I, I get back to the whole question, too, of the, what is the strategy that you employ with nuclear weapons? Okay, so we've got, you know, we've got two, 3,000. The Russians have a, a similar amount. No, we have more than that, I, I think, a lot more than yeah. that. But, you know, the question I have, okay, so you see that the other side has launched an all-out attack on you, which, again, makes no sense, but... They've, they've launched an all-out attack, and so you're supposed to decide whether you're going to fire back. And my question is, what do you gain by firing back? I mean, the world is destroyed. If two, you know, 2,000, 3,000 nuclear weapons go off, it changes the environment and the atmosphere for thousands of years, for everybody. It doesn't just destroy the people you launch that, it destroys everybody. So... Why exactly the idea that you should fire off all your weapons before you're hit it makes sense? You know, it, it goes back to the 50s, better dead than red. Um, I, it's just crazy. The whole thing is craziness. I mean, you know, and, and when you, you know, Daniel Ellsberg has come out with a book, which was the book he actually wanted to do even more than, you know, the releasing the Pentagon Papers, which is to release the information on the theorizing and, and the actuality of uh, policy toward nuclear deterrence and nuclear weaponry in the United States. That's what his newest book is about. Yeah. You and know, and... Yeah, it's just... And, and there's so much logic to what you're saying. It's And by the way, it is... Uh, I just looked it up. We have uh, 77,300 nuclear weapons in the U.S. Okay, yeah. right. Yeah. I, I doubt the president knows that or where they are, but well, nevertheless. Because uh, remember, he didn't know what the nuclear triad was. When yeah. they asked him in the debate before the election, right, right, so uh, yeah, <laughs> ouch. So and, and uh, you know, it just it just seems. I, I guess the the, the tough question, policy wise, is if uh, all the nations of the world agree to eliminate their nuclear weapons, then what's to stop some rogue nation or even just madman from uh, wielding one or more and you know holding an entire country or an entire planet hostage? Well, you know, let's not forget that North Korea acquired nuclear weapons because of the unwillingness of various administrations to negotiate them away. And as it turns out now, with you know documents and things that are coming out, a lot of that had to do with nothing more than the desire to push the missile defense contracts in the United States. Right. And the administration that was most guilty of that was W's administration. And that Kim Jong-un, you know, and his father, their interest is in just making sure that they're not going to get invaded. And they were willing to trade away the nuclear weapons for a guarantee from the United States of that. Um, but, no, they, you know, it, it's just like when Cheney said, you know, recycling is a, a virtue, it's just not good policy. Um, you know, we have created the situation where these rogue nations feel they need to have some modicum of nuclear weapon to keep us 
from invading. But that all, that only explains the six to eight, you know, nuclear weapons that Korea has. I mean, then you still you still have to address the what fifteen thousand that the U.S. and, and Russia have, and the couple hundred that that you know, England, France, China, India, Pakistan, Israel have. You know that this it's it's a tough. I mean, it has to happen. We have to get rid of these. Mm-hmm. I. I you know, it can't all. It can't just come back to, hey, what are we going to do about the rogue nations? Uh, right. Because now, as we've seen, accidents and mistakes uh, are so. Uh, there's so many things that can go wrong, and I totally had forgotten about that nuclear weapon that fell in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and that seven, uh, uh, seven protective elements went wrong. Only one of them saved, you know, saved a horrible catastrophe there. So, you know, I mean, how long before something like that happens or, again, some, you know, here's, all right, bring it back to Trump, who, again, many of us feel is unstable. <coughs> What's to stop Trump from someday saying, I'm so disgusted with, uh, with uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's not North Korea, maybe he's got some other country, some blank whole country that he's suddenly really, really mad at that he wants to do something about. I know there are checks and balances, but again, no, there really aren't. That's the problem. Well, I know, but but you know, but I know. So he could do something crazy. Yeah, I think that is legitimately true. Um, and and we no one knows what would happen if out of the blue, you know, he were to say to uh, you know General Kelly, um, bring me you know bring bring me the uh, briefcase. Uh, I'm taking out Haiti. You know, the assumption would be that someone along the line would say, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, but um, I I think it's it's something that is a bit of a fear because we don't know. I mean, as as the system stands, these mechanical or electronic issues could lead to this. But having somebody who does appear to be unstable... Um, in the presidency, just adds to that concern. Yeah, um, and, 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 and he's, you know somebody who is unstable enough where they might not just say, "Well, a bomb on Haiti." They might just say, "Take out the entire, you know, entire Russian, <laughs> you know, well, Russian well, Republic." Well, well, wait a minute. No, 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 no. This, this administration would not be bombing Russia. We know that. So, well, <laughs> okay, Russians- maybe China because they're they're trying to under you know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're to show you your currency manipulator. Yeah, yeah. That'll teach them to manipulate their currency. <laughs> That's right. um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to answer that. I, I think it is one of the more compelling arguments to make the numbers of weapons we have at the minimum possible. And we are beyond what we need at well, thousands. Yeah, and, and I would argue that we just we don't need any. I mean, we, we can't afford any. Even one is going to be problematic. You know? Well, so. the, the other thing is we, we concentrate so much on, on nuclear weapons, probably the more dangerous class of weapons is biologic weapons. And Good point. I'm not, yeah, I mean, and, and it's certainly the infectious biologic weapons because they'd be almost in the, unable to source whose, whose weapons they were. Uh, you don't need a very sophisticated mechanism to spread a biologic weapon. Um, you know, and it, it's really strange because this, the, the weird thing is, we're talking about something very fearful, and you know we're talking in the age of American carnage. But in point of fact, as as you know, some of the things we 
might get to today or not. This is the safest time to be alive as an American, both in terms of internal crime and also death due to disease and death due to uh, war. Yeah. So we're, we're actually living in, in probably the safest time humanity has ever experienced, but we're all afraid. Well, it's because the stakes are so high if for some reason uh, some of the you know, potential threats are realized. That's correct. Or, and, and this thing, which was apparently that somebody double-clicked something that was only supposed to be single-clicked, um, highlights just how tenuous that safety can be when you're talking about nuclear weapons. Yeah. And we have no idea what the president was told. I mean, I, I, I can't from the news figure out what he knew about it and what his reaction was. My biggest concern uh, is that it might have um, might have uh, interfered with his golf game. Well, that's probably the biggest thing that was the problem. Yeah. They probably, you know, they, it was just like, you know, they didn't want to stop President Bush from reading that book to the elementary school kids. You know, they certainly didn't want to pull Trump away from the golf course. <laughs> at least, uh, at least, uh, at least President Bush was doing something that benefited someone other than Somebody himself. Else. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right, so uh, back to our conversation again. Dr. Charles Goldman joining us on the phone here. I, you know, there, I, there are people who don't like the NFL, and Charles and I are probably in that group. We we have a lot of problems with the NFL. Oh, absolutely. And, and yet here we are talking about the NFL, partly because Tom Brady is the is the is the most incredible uh, human being. Well, I mean, maybe not human being, but he's a pretty darn good human being and an amazing player. <laughs> but you know, it was expected. Yeah. I mean, they won what, like thirty-five to fourteen? Yeah, and, <coughs> and one of those touchdowns was like sort of a gimme in the last minute of the game. Yeah, and and you know, I, I mean, the truth is, if 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 you'd put Tom Brady and okay, maybe one of the guy, you know, say Gronkowski on the field, they still would have beat the Titans. It would have been a lot closer. <laughs> but they, they would it would have been a lot closer. But you know, you had that's all you really needed to beat the Titans was Brady uh, and, and Gronkowski. But I'm looking at the game in New Orleans. Oh, Dan Mandola, who had ten catches that. Well, that's true. That's true. Okay, one or the other. Anyway, um, yeah. I'm looking. I'm looking at the uh, the Vikings and Saints game, and mm-hmm. and my heart well, goes out. At to least the... you got. At least you got to watch it. I had. I actually was out and about, so I was listening to it on satellite. And unfortunately, I had the Minnesota um, broadcast feed. Uh, I mean, talk about being homers. <laughs> uh, it was nauseating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. And then, you know, because that's the call you probably heard on TV, you know, when you see it on the news of, uh, with that last play. Yeah. Um, well, it, it was, uh, I mean, it, it should not have happened. New Orleans should have won that game. There's, But I, I tell you, I, I feel really bad. I, you know, um, I guess the, the only maybe, maybe the only worse person you could beat today than, than, than Michael, than, than Marcus Williams would be a, you know, a, a Haitian janitor at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, I mean... The, 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 he he missed a block that Charles, you or me, well, maybe not you, but we probably could have made that block, you know, or that tackle rather. It, oh. it was just it was there it was a gimme, and he he absolutely missed it, and then took out a teammate in the process. It, right, I can't I, mean, I can't think of any, too many things that could have went wrong. We're worse worse than that, but I, I just well, hope his, his explanation, I, you know, I believe was that he was concerned about getting calls for pass interference. But right. Yeah. That 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 doesn't exactly explain what he then did. Yeah. Which was to do nothing. I mean, he went by the receiver, and you're right, and then took out the only other person who might possibly tackle him. 
Yeah. Um, obviously, all he had to do was tackle him in bounds. He yeah. could have waited for him to catch the ball and tackle him right and, there. And, and, and my my hope is that in the most violent sport in, in America today, <laughs> maybe, maybe except for boxing, uh, that I'm hoping that fans and teammates of Marcus Williams give him some compassion because he, you know, he doesn't need anybody else to help help him help beat him up. He's got that covered. I'm sure he feels right. awful, um, and I'm hoping that people are kind to him. I, I remember what happened to the Chicago Cubs fan who um, reached over, who, who, touched who the ball, and, yeah, and yeah, took the foul ball. Yeah, uh, Bartman. Yeah, and we just. Yeah, I hope Williams is treated better. Hey, we're out of time, Charles. Oh, uh, so you didn't get to hear my theory about. All right, well, we'll have to wait till next time. So excellent editorial recently by a lawyer by the name of Channing Dutton, who has uh, represented some of the uh, pipeline fighters in the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, battle. And he points out that uh, climate change is, he calls it the, quote, gooey muck that binds together so many of our current problems and makes them worse. And, um, you know, those problems include immigration, uh, national defense, energy, uh, the economy, health care. They're all directly affected by climate change. Uh, Dutton points out that, um, you know, right now, for example, we're diverting billions of dollars toward climate storm response and to uh, the uh, fires uh, in the southwest. The uh, Gulf hurricane storm season, that was, um, that, 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 you know, that by itself, I mean, this, this, we had the, one of the worst Gulf hurricane seasons ever, and that's diverting about $250 billion from our federal tax money away from other projects. So there's just the pure uh, fiscal side of it, the fact that climate change is costing us so much money and we're not able to use those resources for uh, other purposes. And that affects healthcare and education and, and other priorities. So um, it's a great, art- great article. You can uh, find it in the, uh, in the Des Moines Register, Channing Dutton, D-U-T-T-O-N, again, the author of that piece. Um, you know, there's a, a little town in northwest Iowa called Lamar's. It's the uh, ice cream capital of the world. It's also got a, uh, I don't know this fellow, but he wrote a really, um, a nice, basic, to-the-point letter to the editor not too long ago that I thought I should share. And the title of it is Don't Confuse Weather with Climate. You know, and he says that every time, his name's Ron Stopak, and Ron says that every time we have a severe cold spell like we have now, the climate change deniers come out with comments about how this shows that climate change is a hoax. And, of course, we heard Donald Trump saying that as well. Yeah, we could use some global, global warming right now. Um, unfortunately, that is scientific ignorance. So I, I, I like the way Ron helps clarify the difference between climate and weather. He says, quote, to bring some clarity to this issue, I would like to use a baseball analogy. Sports, always a good way to talk. Uh, in a normal season, a batter will average approximately 550 at-bats. This is in the, um, in the, in the uh, major league, one of the major leagues. Um, he says this would be climate. Your, your batting average is climate. Um, in a game, a batter would average three to five at-bats. This would be weather. Just because a batter has a good game doesn't mean he will automatically end up with a high average. If he doesn't get any hits at all, it doesn't mean he will end up with a bad average. Climate change refers to overall weather patterns and not an individual cold spill. 
well stated. So it is interesting that uh, that when when um, the again again what's fueling climate change is our overuse of fossil fuels, and now we're to the point where we, we we've got to get off them as quickly as possible, and yet the Trump administration continues to find ways of expanding fossil fuel production. Uh, uh, his, uh, his administration just announced uh, additional plans to expand oil and gas explora exploration in U.S. coastal waters. And um, yet more and more states are saying, hey, um, we don't want that here. Uh, they understand that it's bad for tourism, bad for fishing, uh, bad in a lot of ways. So uh, the chorus of states that want out Include California, okay, no surprise there, Delaware, New York, Oregon, New Jersey, Virginia, Washington, no surprise there. But, you know, I'm, I, I suspect we're going to start seeing more, uh, more pushback from southern states as well, especially after the disaster that hit there a few years back. Um, the, uh, you know, it's really it's really sad to see that we've we've taken this direction because uh, you know we we it seems like President Trump is intent on expanding fossil fuel production in every way possible. Again, one of the first things he did was to approve the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline, which we thought we had stopped, and to reauthorize the Keystone Pipeline in Nebraska. Uh, he's also uh, made um, he's also uh, demoted two national monuments. Uh, and we don't know quite where that leads, but if you start um, you know, taking uh, the lands that are in the public trust and finding ways of turning those over to private interests, there's no doubt there's going to be further exploration of gas and oil and, and other, other minerals that you know, somebody's going to get rich on, <laughs> and, uh, and the um, public amenities that we all value are going to become degraded. And now we've got the uh, expanded... Um, Oil uh, drilling in the uh, in the uh, coastal waters, of course. All along with that is um, is talk of uh, increased uh, drilling in the Gal in the Arctic. You know, I, I I don't know I don't know how far how much further he can go. <clears throat> it seems like <coughs> it seems like you know, there's not many more um, uh, things he can do to further expand fossil fuel uh, exploration. Um, but, you know, the pushback is starting. Well, it's been going for a while. It's picking up steam because more and more people's lives are being affected. And this is not a partisan issue at all. There are Democrats, Republicans alike, independents, who are being affected by these decisions. I certainly the, uh, take the Dakota Access Pipeline or the Keystone Pipeline. Those both run through areas that are primarily counties that voted for President Trump. <coughs> so, you know... I, I think we're going to see more and more pushback. Again, a handful of states now they're saying we don't we we don't want offshore drilling off of our coasts, and I think we're going to see that uh, increasing. So, um, uh, I, I yeah I'm I, I'm I'm hopeful of that uh, because we can't afford again. Back to uh, Channing Dutton's editorial, you know, climate is already exacting a terrible price on us. Uh, in terms of, I mean, just look at Florida. I'm uh, sorry, Florida, California. Uh, what's happened in California this past uh, handful of months is incredible. 
it's, it's exactly that kind of price and also a fiscal price in terms of what we have to spend to clean it up and then what we can't do with resources that you know, might have been used for education or health care or improving our transportation system. Anyway, that's, um, that's the climate report today, folks. This is Ed Fallon signing off from uh, the Fallon Forum in Des Moines, Iowa. Underwriting provided by Physicians for Social Responsibility, working for over 50 years to create a healthy, just, and peaceful world for both present and future generations. More information can be found at psr.org. That's psr.org. Underwriting provided by the Sierra Club, the nation's largest grassroots environmental organization with over 2 million members and supporters, protecting millions of acres of wilderness and promoting policies that protect our environment. Learn more at sierraclub.org. That's sierraclub.org. Underwriting provided by Bold Iowa, protecting landowners against the abuse of eminent domain and working for clean energy solutions. Details can be found on Facebook at Bold Iowa.